This episode of the Talk Hard podcast is brought to you by Trailer Skips Tasmania and Full Bore Skip Bins. If you're doing a bit of work around the house and you've got large amounts of waste items from household waste, green waste, building or renovation waste or heavy waste items and your piles are becoming bigger than Ben-Hur, give Dan a call to organise your trailer skip or full bore skip bin today. Trailer skips use a unique design incorporating a skip bin built into a trailer for easy removal and tipping. Or if it's a normal skip bin you need, a full bore skip bin will be the one for you. You don't even have to pick it up or dump it yourself. Dan will deliver it for you and he'll take it away and dump it. How good's that? Give him a call today on 0409 801 635. Trailer skips and full bore skip bins. Don't go the half job, go the full bore. On this week's show, Managing Director and CEO of Aged Care Provider, Respect, Jason Binder. Jason comes in to tell his story of how a teenage school dropout who turned to drugs and eventually sunk to the depths of full addiction and injecting daily can turn his life around to the point where he's now a highly sought after consultant in turning million dollar businesses around. And along the way he's gained three degrees, who would have thought? We speak about the taboo topic of divorce, which he's endured unfortunately over recent years, and he gives some great insights into how he dealt with this and some advice for others, particularly around children. He gives a great insight into his philosophy on living a good life, and we also talk about his only addiction these days, pinball. Don't get in his way when there's a pinball machine about, let me tell you. Hope you enjoy, and for anyone looking for a good podcast to listen to, jump on the Better Off Dad podcast, where local boys Shannon, Nathan and James give a hilarious insight into modern parenting. This comes with some great guests and insights, and also many dad hacks, some good and some terrible. I'm sure you'll love it. Now over to Jason. Jason Binder, welcome to the Talk Hard podcast. Thanks, Brendan. Good to be here. Thanks for coming in, mate. So, um... One thing with um, with the podcast that I really enjoy is we'd never met before up until about five minutes ago, and um, one of the beauties of, of what we do here is um, obviously listening to people's stories and learning about people's stories, so I was really excited, you know, when I heard a little bit about your story for, for you to be good enough to, to come in and, and have a chat to us, but more so to be able to put those stories out to other people, so I really appreciate you coming in, mate. Um, first thing I want to ask is... In the information that um, that you've given me there before, you describe yourself as a turnaround expert. Explain that to me. Just elaborate on that a little bit. So with my job uh, at Respect, we have grown through turning around other aged care providers. So that's meant, you know, we've been chucked into uh, situations that are incredibly difficult and sometimes not good to see either because uh, we're talking about nursing homes and older people. And, you know, one of them, we, we came in and there's 42 standards that need to be met in aged care. Yep. And they had failed 38 of them. And, you know, blinds were down, people in bed. I think they missed medication for a whole shift. Like, it was wow. pretty significant. And so we need to come in and fix that. And we've got to fix it quick because, you know, the old provider... Uh, are responsible the day before we take over. The day we take over, we're responsible. Yep. Um, and sometimes they're losing a lot of money too. It's not just sort of clinical care. You know, one was losing 800 grand a month. So we've got to come in and fix things really quick. Yep. And 
you know, we, we used to take a while. Now we've got it down to about two or three months. We can turn around. So, um, so when I say turn around expert, I suppose it's just been thrown into difficult situations and yep. turning them around. Yep. So you yeah. jump into the frying pan, basically. Yeah, and I like doing it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Excellent. I like doing it. Cool. It's, it's challenging and, yeah, it's just rewarding. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll get into that a little bit sort of along, along your journey, but it doesn't surprise me that um, that, that you're good at what you do because the um, what happens is when I um, put it out there that I'm getting a certain person to come on the podcast, I get little bits of information start to drip through to me about that particular person. Oh, and yeah. I've heard that you're quite competitive. Um, and one of the things that people will know about the, the Talk Art studio here is it did initially start off as a rumpus room and a bit of a piss drinking room and that sort of thing. And at one stage, we were thinking about getting a pinball machine in here. Oh, yeah. And I'm told that if I had a pinball machine in here and you came in, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. We'd be having a pinball <laughs> we'd, challenge. We'd so. probably be having, yeah, a little bit of pinball. Yeah. Apparently, you're a pretty, bit of a menace on the pinball machine. Uh, I've got a pinball machine. I like pinball. Yep. Yeah. And you yeah. go all right at it? <clears throat> I think so, yeah. Yep. I mean... You know, my son said to me when we got the pinball machine, he said, isn't it luck? And I said, well, you beat my score then if it's luck. <laughs> Righto, buddy. Yeah. I also said, down. like, well, if you get it in the right spots, it's not going to come back and, you know, in the wrong spots. Yeah. So he nearly beat me at it, though. Like, <laughs> so I think he came, I worked it out the other day, he got 97.7% of the way to my score and then... 99.7%. He's your protege then. Yeah, he nearly got there. He didn't, didn't do it. So yeah. He's still trying. Yeah. yeah. Is it true that you and your wife have been known to get stuck in places, in random places for a long time that have got pinball there because you're trying to beat each other? We have done that, yeah. We have done that too. <laughs> what and sort of places? Oh, like burger bars, any type of thing like that where there's a pinball. Yeah. And, you know, we end up putting a lot of money through <laughs> and they probably like us, but... <laughs> Yeah, she beats the score, then I beat the score, and yeah, hopefully I leave with the high score. But you never know. <laughs> they just throw you the keys, do they, and say yeah, lock yeah. up when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, mate. So, like I said, the, the main thing about the the format that we use here is just to go through people's stories. So, take us back to the start for you. So, you grew up in South Australia, is that right? Yeah, so I grew up in a town called Remark in South Australia, and that's a fruit growing area. Uh, along the Murray River and growing up my dad uh, he left school when he was 13 his dad died when he was one uh, and he just he just learnt to work and he was a good student and I think the principal told him you know he was silly for leaving or whatever but he had to support his family yep. so yeah he had no choice yeah no choice about it um, and I kind of feel sorry for him in a way like that and, but, so he's just, his, you know, probably number one value is just working. And so growing up, I remember working a lot. And I yep. think my first job was like nine or 10, I was sweeping sheds. So. Yeah. And I think during that time, and mum kind of similar as well, because her dad was a, like, a really hard businessman. I mean, some people say sometimes... I might be, but it was nothing like my pop. <laughs> he was real hard. And so mum's kind of got the same thing. And growing up, I just, you know, thought that was normal, that 
kids worked. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and probably sometimes harder than adults. And so throughout that time, uh, I learned there's good things about it and bad things about it. And the good thing is, you know, I have no negative association with work whatsoever. Yeah. It's just normal for me. Just ingrained in you. Yeah. Yep. And it's just, you know, I've got my family life, I've got my kids, I've got my wife, I've got my friends, I've got my personal time and work, and it's all just mixed up in one thing. I don't have this negative thing about work, and I think I'm grateful for that because, you know, sometimes people grow up in families where work sucks. Yep. And, you know, parents are talking about, oh, can't wait till Friday or the wind. I never had any of that. Yeah. There was no negative uh, talk about work or anything like that. So I don't have any negative association with it. I think people see me working, you know, more hours than, than normal and they're like, he's got a problem or something. But yep. for me, it's just, and I like my job. Yep. Helps, that helps when you like your job too. I don't yep. want to retire. So, um, yeah. So growing up like that, the other side of it is, probably don't remember many experiences though and i think that's what is important for kids so, yeah yeah so that's know, the yin and yang of it isn't yeah, it yeah like, it is always and i'm trying to give kids lots of experiences but also teach them you know the work ethic so yeah there's a balance there yeah and as a kid you know i don't remember what presents got given to me yep i remember like when we went camping every year at easter yep and those are the experiences and that's I think what's important so in saying that though i think sometimes the, these days a lot of kids are given so much through the year that when they do have those big family holidays and things around christmas and easter mm. and things like that they don't seem to appreciate them as much like i always look back to my childhood and you know i had a, I had a great childhood but we didn't get new stuff through the year so that's why you look forward to christmas oh absolutely and you look forward to your birthday oh, whereas, it's a big deal yeah yeah whereas, whereas these days and, and and i suppose these days you know people probably have better incomes and they have the ability to yeah. to give their kids more so you know that's the thing you know why work so hard if you can't share it with your children i suppose but it does take away i think that little bit of i think appreciation. it's absolutely a balance like anything for sure um in well, I mean, you got to because you feel like as a parent, you feel like buying everything. Yep. And if you do have the, the, you feel like doing it, but I don't feel like it's good for kids mm. to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's always a balance, and you can't get it right as a parent. Nah, no, you never and, will. There's no know, handbook. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, anyone at the end of their life, are they going to get to the end of their life and go, "Man, I was a perfect parent"? I don't think that's possible. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you've taught a pretty strong work ethic from, from early days. So is it true you were working and going to school about 60-hour weeks? Probably not like when I was 9 or 10, but, you know, definitely as I got older, that was that was probably normal. Yep. Yeah, get home. Because um, we had, you know, one thing was enough for Dad, so <laughs> he, he had a business. Him and Mum had a business. Mum was a good businesswoman. And... We also had a, a fruit um, property, so yep. it was like, you know, take your pick, yep. get some work to do. So, yep. yeah, uh, and that's, yeah, pretty normal for me. Well, that's probably what I do now, about 60 hours, maybe. Yep. But, you know, people look at that and go, wow, that's too much. But 
the waking hours I have is 112 waking hours. So, you know, what do you do with the other 52? Mm. You know, people say it's too much, but then like people binge watch now on Netflix and stuff. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or, or not, but I suppose I'm, I pick what I do and what I cut out yep. as well. Yeah. And for me, and because I do like my work, so I suppose I'll choose that over Netflix. Yep. And not, not that I don't watch it. I have watched, you know, what's the thing? Eros Squid Games. Squid Games. About. Yeah. I watched that. Yep. And, you know, it's a good, it's one of the only things I can do to chill out is actually watch yep. a movie or something. So I probably watch three or four movies a week. Yep. But <clears throat> definitely outside of that, I choose carefully what I spend the time on mm. yeah again it's keeping that balance isn't yeah, it absolutely. making sure that you know when you do get your free time you're doing quality time with it yeah it's always interesting like you say people that um, binge watch Netflix and stuff and then they say there's not enough hours in the day yeah I know yeah <laughs> it's what you spend those hours doing isn't it yeah yeah um, so again, um, learning a little bit about your story, you you started to lose your way a little bit as a teenager, wasn't it? That's when mm. things went a little bit um, a little bit awry for you. So yeah. tell us about that time in your life. I think one of the things, because I've been thinking over it since you said you want to come on the podcast, and I think one of the things about it was, like, I'm just not designed for classrooms. Yep. Because oh, even as a kid, like I've always got to be doing something. And I feel like, like I just school and me didn't fit, and I didn't do very well at school. I played up at school. I remember getting called up to the principal's office, and they said, "Do you know anything about this that happened?" And that was because I, you know, I was always involved in something. So, <laughs> oh, and even one time, you know, teacher called me no hoper. Yep. And I didn't even take it to heart. I think I was teasing him about his brother or something, so I probably deserved it. But I just, it didn't suit me. Later on, I've been through university three or four times now, and that really suited me. Yep. Wouldn't suit me going, sitting in a lecture hall, but now it's all online and you can do it in Mm. your own time. It's flexible. Um, Yeah, and I'm not sitting there thinking, man, this is a waste of time. Why are they, you know, going on about that? It's not relevant and stuff like that. So, Mm. yep. Yeah. Sort of suits you a little bit better. Yeah, and if I had my time again, if I could be a kid again, I'd probably value school more, but I didn't at the time. Yeah. And now I really value education. So maybe if I went through it again, it'd be different. But I suppose because I lost my way in school and was always in trouble, you know, you end up probably with influences in your life that are similar to, to how you're behaving and yeah so when I left school I left school at 15 um, and I just had probably the influences in my life weren't great but you know I wasn't great either so mm-hmm. yep um, and so those drugs are all in that so uh, probably you know probably first got drunk when I was 12 I suppose marijuana maybe 13 or 14, I can't quite remember. And then sort of harder drugs, maybe 15, started to get into that, so I tried everything basically. Yep. Yeah, and ended up probably more just taking uh, speed, which is kind of like ice. Yep. Uh, now it's the modern day equivalent of it, so. Yep. 
And so you was, but you were still working and and doing stuff as well. Like you were still functioning quite well. Yeah, like from the outside, I suppose because I had that work. And I, I got taught to push through, man. Because <laughs> when you're young, like nine or ten or whatever, and you're doing hard work, like you've got to. I learned how to push through it, and kind of your brain wants to give up. It's like you you want to go. Uh, this sucks and you know walk off or whatever like or not do it or whatever I just learned to steal myself and go nah nah and put like just get rid of those thoughts and push through it mm-hmm. so even through yeah all the time experimenting with drugs and that I was just probably from the outside looked like I was just living a normal life I was still working at yep so it wasn't seem it didn't seem to be affecting you from no not really not from yep. the outside no so you know no one knew, really knew any difference so yep so how often were you were you using drugs would you say uh, probably like maybe only like weekly up until probably sixteen or seventeen so yep. and that's when I um, started injecting it so. I suppose that's when you know the wheels are really falling off when when, when that happens. And, yep. Yeah, you know, I was influenced to do that, uh, but I always say with everything, it's my choice. Yeah. As well, it doesn't matter what influences are. Yeah. And you got to take responsibility. Yep. If you don't take responsibility, you can sit here and blame everybody for everything, if you wanted to. But I don't feel like you learn from that. I don't feel like you grow from that. So. Yeah, I tried injecting it and eventually that just got more and more until probably about 17 or 18, it was every day. And Yep, so you're addicted? Ah, oh, fully addicted. And, you know, looking like I was addicted too, probably at that stage. Yep. If people really wanted to go, what's going on? Because I was 65 kilos. Yep. Now I'm 85, that's my normal kind of weight. Yep. Uh, and you know, scabs on the arms, like I was malnutritioned. Um, yeah, so it was just pretty bad space. Yep. Mm. So, so what about your support networks? Obviously, you know, you you took on a bit of a physical transformation through that. Did people close to you start asking questions, like your parents, or um, kind of unraveled? They didn't really. Maybe if they looked at it, I mean, when you're a parent, you want to see the best in your kid, don't yeah, you? Yeah, of course. And maybe if they looked at it like real hard and thought about it and, you know, maybe they, they could have, but it, it unraveled. I left a needle in my pocket and mum found it and then the whole thing just kind of blew up. So, yep. yeah. Yep. So how did it affect them when they realised what was going on? Ah, uh, it's freaking terrible. Terrible for them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, man, to imagine that now as a parent, me imagining it is... Yeah, be horrible. Yeah, and I think out of it, that's what I regret mostly is people that I've either hurt or you know caused stress, and I think regrets are good. Yep, I really think they do. I think you learn from regrets. Yeah, and this whole no regrets thing. You know, you see it around or whatever. I feel like it's just people hiding from the truth and not accepting that I've done something. Yep. 
And man, I'm grateful for my regrets. I'm not sitting here beating myself up about them yep. anymore. But, you know, if you accept what you've done, you have to feel guilty about it. And not shame about it. Shame is like when you think you're a bad person intrinsically uh, or someone else is trying to externally tell you that and it's what shaming someone is but guilt is you feel bad because you've done something wrong mm. and I think it's absolutely necessary to feel that and it's harder to feel it at the, in the moment it's easy to push it away yep in the moment but it carries with you for the rest of your life and it's not worth it mm. you're better off accepting it what you've done feeling the guilt and going through the pain in short term mm. and then you know repairing relationships if you can and, and then you know moving on and learning from it yep Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say about learning about it. I, I heard a great quote, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was that if you look at it as there's no mistakes in life, they're all lessons. Mm. Rather than making a mistake, a mistake is a lesson. So yeah. a lot of people beat themselves up. You know, I have a chat to my kids about it when they make a mistake. I say, mm. but that's part of learning. If you go through life and don't make a mistake, you're basically going to stay there, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Like you're never going to grow. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't, if you make a mistake, and as an adult, or maybe even as a kid, I don't know, if you're making a mistake and you're pretending you haven't made a mistake, uh, it's just a recipe for disaster. So. Mm. And you see, you know, some people just bury that sort of stuff for their whole life. And for me, that wouldn't be wouldn't be good. I don't think it would be in a good place if I was mm. doing that. Yeah, you can't grow if you're not prepared to make a mistake and then admit that you've made a mistake and yeah, then move exactly on from right. it. Yeah. yeah, no matter how bad it feels to admit it. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So just take us back, just tell us about that time in your life. So obviously you're, you're using every day. What were, your, what were your best and worst days like? Like were you still getting a high from it? Is that sort of the main reason why you were injecting? Was it sort of masking something else? Or uh, Here's the thing about it. And, you know, we tell kids drugs bad, 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 bad all the time. And then teachers tell them drugs are bad. Then they try the drugs and it's like, man, all these people don't know what they're talking about. And it's true initially. It is true because the drugs feel good initially. Mm. And, you know, the more addicted you get, I remember looking in my wallet, and this is when I knew things were bad. I was looking in my wallet and I didn't even see money in there anymore. It was how many hits do I have in my wallet? Right, yep. And that's how you saw currency. Oh, uh, yep. that's what currency was. Yep. And, you know, I see people with addiction. I know what, what that is. So you start taking it, and it is good. And then it's kind of like a bad credit card. It just keeps building up. Like, eventually, you, you're taking it to catch up. So eventually, you're taking it to feel normal. Right, yep. And then you're taking it to feel less than normal. And then when you're not and then like it just keeps going and then you know when you're not taking it it's just unbearable yeah but your body builds up this tolerance yeah. to it so you need more and more to get so that you feeling you need, need more and eventually your norm your normal is way net less than your optimal normal yeah it's it's just less yeah uh 
and often you're just a different person so yeah looking at myself back then it was almost like it was i was a puppet to yep. something else i was going to ask you that did it change your personality at all no absolutely yep. yeah yeah in in which way like angry you, happy you just become completely selfish yep and because all you want is the drug and so that means any sort of relationships you have are secondary yep and that's like that's horrible for people Mm. horrible it's like that with any addiction and drug it always takes away doesn't it over Mm. time it always takes away like it it gives you something it it, it gives you something in that feeling but it's Mm. what what is it taking away that you don't realize absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. um so what would you say was the the turning point obviously you, you eventually did kick the habit what was the big turnaround for you it wasn't when your mum found the needle in your pocket no because you need to want to give up right and you didn't want to at that stage no i didn't want to just kind of you know i got busted yep is what i thought and you know you've worked with people probably down and out and you know you can be talking to people and you know you know they need help or you know they need to improve their life but yep. they don't want it yep you can't help anyone until they want to help themselves no you can lead the horse to water you can't get to to drink so for me you know I, I mean i knew things were getting bad i knew i was messed up but i just didn't want to and the turning point for me and i'm reticent to say turning point because it gives the impression to people that there's this point in life where things all of a sudden become perfect and yep. it's just that's not true like the magic bullet yeah theory, yep. there's like lots of suddenly turning it just turns points. around yeah and yep. i still have turning points yep about different things yep. so it's a process absolutely and you're going to make mistakes for your whole life yep and there's going to be turning points and you're going to have epiphanies about things for your whole life but probably with the <clears throat> with the addiction was my girlfriend at the time took me to this church and you know there's different types of churches you've got the you've got the churches where you know ministers are in robes and everything's quite formal and it's quite ritualistic and stuff and you got the other end where you know things are pretty out there they might even be I've seen on YouTube you know they're grabbing snakes thinking they're not going to get bitten and then they get bitten yep, yep. <laughs> crazy so yep. it's probably leading over more towards that yep that way and not that there was you know that type of thing happening but it was pretty out there and I got prayed for in it and at the time it, it just it felt like a bolt of lightning or electricity or something went from my head right through me to my feet and i don't know what that was so and you physically felt yeah felt it was just unbelievable and and then a release and i just cried for probably hours anyway i remember crying all the way home and then you know i got home and i just i was crying at my mum and dad and apologizing to them and then you know, it's kind of funny because any time I wasn't on drugs, I think they thought I was on drugs. <laughs> they were looking worried at me like, yep. like what's going on here? <laughs> what have you taken today? Yeah, and I remember just kind of going to bed and I was still crying and just 
felt, you know, released from everything. So I um, kind of, after that is when, it was probably like the first turning point that was. So after that, and like I said, things don't go perfect. And so I still here and there, I was taking drugs. Yep. I was going to ask that whether you gave it up cold turkey or whether it was a slow nah, process. It's a slow. It was a slow process, um, and so I can't remember how how long after it was, but I decided I'm sort of ditching ditching this place, um, and not there's anything wrong with Remark. Just for anyone listening, if they are from Remark, yeah, uh, and just to get away from. I suppose my past, and you can't run from your past, I'm not suggesting anyone do that, but certainly you can create a break and, you know, create new relationships and that type of thing. So mm-hmm. I moved to Tasmania, knew someone here, so I uh, moved to Launceston. And I was still got in a bit of trouble in Launceston, so, yep. you know. In the drug game type thing? or uh, A little bit, but I was kind of wild. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just I was a drug addict. It was pretty wild and... Um, teenager anyway so yeah you know i got locked up in launceston for i think i got in a fight so other stuff just just kind of still a bit out of control mm-hmm. mm. was that a regular occurrence through your, your teenage years being incarcerated or was that the first time when you came to tasmania or? uh it was the first time but you know probably only because i didn't get caught more than anything okay yeah yep. like you know, did some pretty dumb things. Yeah. Should have died just not the drugs, just doing stupid stuff. So. Yeah. So what sort of stupid stuff? Just describe some oh, of the stuff to us. You know, just reckless in cars and stuff. And I heard yep. you, you know, talking to a guy that killed two people. And that could easily be me. Yep. That's what I was thinking when I was listening to me. And it's not, like, you don't look back at that and go, man, I could have killed myself. Like, what if you killed someone? What if you killed someone's kids? Mm-hmm. Like, it's incredible, like, that it would be devastating. That guy, he's still not over it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he seemed, I'm not sure how old, but he was older. Mm. And need to live with that for the rest of his life. Mm. And obviously, all the people that it affected, they need to live with it for the rest of their life. So, yeah. yeah, one little decision, it yeah, can change yeah. your whole life. And his whole life now is about trying to, to reconcile that, to try and square the ledger somehow. Yeah, I remember even... You know, we took a bulldozer for a joyride and this is a council one and just drove around in stuff. Like, we were just reckless. So, yeah. 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 So, so came to Tassie and, you know, made a few mistakes and got locked up. So how, how long after you moved to Tasmania would you say that you you kicked the habit that you you finished with drugs? Uh, it was probably when I moved to Devonport when my life started to turn around. Yep. Properly. Yep. And there was religion involved in that. And I'm not suggesting anyone, you know, that's the answer to all your problems. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't describe myself as religious now. Um, but certainly, I think, you know, going to church regularly and being around people that were kind of trying to live better values, for me, religion helped yep. uh, with that. But you know, also a clean break again from Launceston to Devonport. Um, so I moved to Devonport and I also kind of found 
meaning in my life with what I wanted to do because I'd been lost. I went to school um, and didn't really know what I was wanting to do and I didn't like school and, you know, didn't get a proper education because mm-hmm. it just barely passed and I was mucking around. And I think when I got to Devonport, and I always kind of liked computers, but I just kind of started getting into IT and I think you need meaning in your life. Mm-hmm. And religion was part of that for me. I think it's just super important to have meaning in your life. And my son, I was a little bit worried about him not long ago because he seemed to be kind of getting addicted to video games. Mm -hmm. And just the amount of time he was spending. I mean, we've got rules at our house, so, you know, seven hours a week. And I go a bit psycho and stuff. I look at research and all that sort of stuff. I think anything over nine hours is actually starting to get into bad territory for kids yep under that um there's actually some positive benefits um to it but as long as it's kind of regulated and mm. and that and i was starting to get worried about him and it was only a couple of days ago i said to him well, what games you play i was doing a workout with him i said what games you playing and he said oh none really i said what that's that's new to me. Mm. And he's oh, I don't have time because I've been going to the gym and doing stuff. Yeah, cool. And so it's just about for him anyway. I mean, he didn't do it on purpose, but he's found some meaning. He really likes going to the gym and doing the workouts and yep. stuff. So, and for him, that's better than the games. Mm. And for me, I suppose. Oh, and you can't give up something. You can't give up something and then just sit around waiting. I mean, what, what are you going to do? Sit there and just wait to not be addicted to something. You've got to have something to do. So yeah. I think, yeah, for me, just yeah, being able to focus on something and uh, enjoy it you know, was super important. And that was, yeah, IT for me. Yeah, excellent. Can I ask you, I don't know where I heard it, but somebody said that when you are addicted to something, you're always an addict, mm. but you just need to learn how to deal with it. Do you? Can I ask you? Do you still have those cravings at this this point in your life, or is that just something that doesn't even enter your mind anymore? Uh, well, I think addiction's like a a broad thing. I mean, talking about my son on video games, I got addicted to Fortnite like <laughs> six months ago. That's quite easy to do. Yeah, because yep. oh, man, they design these things now with behavioural psychologists. Mm. Yep. To trigger your reward system. Yep, it's like the pokies. <laughs> yeah, but it's pokies for kids. Or yeah. uh, I'm not a kid, but, you know, I think you got to watch out for anything. Mm. And I was talking about binge watching on Netflix, and I, mean, I don't know how old you are, but when I was growing up, all we had was a country practice. and <laughs> Blue healers. <laughs> blue healers and uh, neighbours and home and away. Yeah. And now there is Everything's hundreds, at your fingertips. hundreds of TV series. And yep. I'm a business person. I know that if there's hundreds of it, there is hun- there is that much consumption. Mm. Otherwise, it's not financially viable. Mm. And so we're just, there's so much stuff that could be a, a addictive now. So mm. I suppose it's not just, you know, you know, you know do I have a, cra- I don't have any cravings for drugs. Yep. 
Um, but I think you can get addicted to anything. So yeah, yeah, yep. Do you still um, do you drink alcohol or anything like that now, or do you? No, I don't. And for me, it's because it's like, nothing's worth it. Yep. The high is not worth the low. No, even yep. if it's just you know a few drinks. And I'm not saying the low is like you know like real bad or anything, but everything and this is one of the things I learned through it everything it's just yin and yang it was worse than yin and yang it is like a credit card and then you got to pay the interest mm. and for me nothing's nothing is well I mean I tried you know after all the you know addiction with meth and that I tried I thought man I'm just going to take party drugs then because that's not so bad yep but you know obviously I learned everything the hard way and they're not worth it either. Yeah. Because you might take it on a Saturday and then feel crap Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. And that's just not worth it. And for me, alcohol's not worth it. You know, I'll take it. And then if I monitor my mood after drinking, you know, I'm fine while I'm drinking. I'm not one of those people that, you know, alcohol triggers me or anything, but my mood for the next couple of days just isn't right mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah i just don't really take anything now that's gonna not be worth it for me yeah which is want, everything for me you want to be in control of your, yeah yeah your, your yeah, output and your stable, emotions and... yeah i want a stable kind of work life and yep. i want to be I want to be optimal yeah excellent yeah it's a good word actually be optimal you want to be at your best yeah, don't you yeah yeah cool I know that um, you know getting into your um, your turnaround work and that sort of thing. Where did you? Where at what point did you get into that? You, so the IT obviously is where it all started. But how did you sort of transition into what you're doing now? So started in IT. You know, I had to do some study, and then I got in into that. And then I ended up along the way. So I just got into an IT partnership, and I ended up actually liking business so I thought to myself I actually think I want to kind of study business so I left the IT partnership um, and you know I didn't even have a job when I left this is the sort of stuff I do like I just if I decide something I kind of just just go (laughs) I just go and then I work it out later yep and so I left I mean I asked the client you know would they you know I did ask a client oh have you got any jobs going that was a labouring job but and they were like no and I thought nah just I'll just leave and work it out so I did that and ended up being a, asked to be the IT manager at a nursing home yep. and how old were you at that stage uh, how old was I I think I was like 26 or 27 yep and then because of my work ethic, I suppose I was getting noticed. I mean, if you don't want to get noticed, do the same thing as everyone else. Yep. And and people kind of look at it as, oh, they'd be using you or whatever. Or, I don't actually care about that because, you know, even if that was the case, I'm building up my resume. Mm. I'm doing stuff for me too. Yep. Um, so I just don't, I don't look at it like that. And, I suppose I got noticed and then I become the HR manager there. And that was, you know, challenging. Uh, you know, being thrown into dealing with unions. Re- uh, residential aged care is a unionised workforce. So 
you know, and there's different types of unions. Some are quite technical and they'll try and hang you on, you know, little technicalities and stuff. Some are quite bullying and whatever. So it was pretty confronting um, to do that. But so anyway, I did uh, HR for a while. Uh, IT and HR, I was doing both roles. And then all kind of all of a sudden for us, because we didn't know, but, you know, some of the managers left and the board said, hey, we're nearly... We're nearly done for. Right. And so maybe because I was I was younger, I'd done my MBA and everything then too. And um, maybe because I was a bit young and naive, I don't know, but uh, we thought there was an, another guy there with me, Brett Menzies, who was the care manager at the time, and he's the chief operating officer in our respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Catherine was there as well, but we just kind of thought, oh, Let's have a crack at fixing it. Brett thought, yeah, no, I can. You could see some of the expenses he thought could be reduced, and mm-hmm. and so, you know, put a plan to the board uh, and did it, and, and it worked. I mean, you know, the way we did it, I'd do it much differently now. We didn't do it very well. Yeah, we're much better at change management now, but yep. But uh, it worked at the time. It like worked. It, yep. I think the important thing is doing it. Yep, having a crack. Yeah, and it's the same old thing you know you can't just sort of get on a bike and like take off you've got to like get the wobbles and fall off and get back up like mm. any anything's a learning process and mm. you've got to make some mistakes yeah I think that's what important. we spoke about before yeah yep. you just got to bite the bullet and do it and just keep learning and improving the process so uh, so we did that and then um things and we made lots of changes i mean there's a there's big change changes initially I kind of look at like if you're making a sculpture you got to come in with the chainsaw or the axe or whatever you got to kind of sculpt it roughly yep and it kind of doesn't even look like the thing to start with yep and then you've got to chip away at it with a with a sort of a bigger tool and then you've got to fine-tune it later and we kind of you know ended up you know fine-tuning it and we're kind of like well what do we do now mm. and we we're approached by another provider uh, who had failed because they know we'd done the turnaround. So, and that was in uh, northern Victoria. So, by the time you get on a plane and muck around, we're talking about an eight-hour trip. So, it was challenging in that regard, rewarding in that regard too, because we thought if we can make that work, we can make something work anywhere in Australia and learning how to manage things remotely. So we had a crack at it. It was a big risk for us, but we had a crack at it and that worked. And eventually other providers started coming to us until, you know, uh, recently we're just sought out by, by people to do it. So yep. now we've got 14 homes. And most of them have been turnarounds. Two haven't been. Sometimes the board are just like, this is too hard. and don't want it anymore but most of them have been turnarounds of really difficult situations so Mm, yeah yeah and you've got three business degrees along the way is that right so i did it i've been through yeah university yeah lots of time once i figured out man i actually like this and this is weird for my parents because they were like you know i went to school and played up and you know didn't do very good and then just didn't want to do school Mm. so they're like what's going on here i think this (laughs) spun them out yep (laughs) yep and 
yeah so all along you know learning new roles it's always you know there's always some an element of stress when you're doing something new because you know there's so many unknowns Mm. getting better at it now but yeah certainly through all that growth there was that stress but also the um on top of it yeah i did did those degrees on top of you know, working some pretty significant hours. So, mm. Yeah, it's a fair. Like it's funny that you call yourself a turnaround expert, but you also that was a fair turnaround for yourself, wasn't it? From a kid that was no good at school to oh, oh massive, yeah. yeah, yeah, massive turnaround to the point. You know, I'm thinking about doing a, a PhD now in in organisational design. So, like you said that to my teachers at school they'd be like what the hell is <laughs> are we talking here? about the same kid <laughs> yeah no this isn't you got it mixed up <laughs> yeah <clears throat> um so another part of of your story which i um i know that you're happy to have a chat about and i think it's a really important one to talk about because it is so common at the moment is um separation and and divorce and yeah. and unfortunately you have been been through that in your life and i know a lot of people are going through it at the moment and it's probably not a subject that is talked about that openly so just take us through that part of your life as well yeah so i mean no one goes into a marriage wanting thinking they're going to be divorced um but we've got a 50 percent divorce rate i mean that's the fact Mm. of it and that's how it is it's difficult because you say it's not something talked about much it's not something people want to talk about much not necessarily the person going through the divorce but when you hear someone's divorced it's not like you you kind of open the you don't want to like it's kind of a social awkwardness about mm. it or something so yeah. yeah but so for me uh divorce happened and um it was super difficult it was probably i think it was the most difficult time in my life yeah i've had some difficult times and so that's saying a bit yeah yeah yep. part of that you know in talking about accepting responsibility like part of that was my absolutely my responsibility because Belle and I got together really not long after both of us divorced and she worked for me so it just looked bad yep <laughs> it didn't look, it didn't look good yep. and that just you know intensified emotions and and so for for me I made it more way more difficult than it, than it needed to be and you know the difficult part of it was not just the emotions and you know the vitriol and all that sort of stuff but just like I suppose I got to see the worst of humanity I got to see the best of humanity mm-hmm. as well it's not about other people because I don't believe in I don't I don't believe you can learn by talking about other people yep and sometimes people say oh, I've learnt you know I'm not going to trust these type of people or you know I'm not going to um do this or that with and they're talking about other people and that, that, I don't think that's learning I think that's creating you know walls yep if, if you make sense and I want to just be open with people and, and, and not be that type of person so but for me like you know the difficult bit was this, the the judgment I suppose of it and and the shame and you know being burned off in the supermarket by people you know or 
treated like you got leprosy by some people. and Which that, is hard in a small community. Oh, in a small community, is really difficult. And, you know, I remember just, I didn't want to go out of the house. Yeah. It got that bad. So, for me, that was super, super difficult. And, like I said, I accept responsibility that, um, and I don't blame people for thinking that either. Because it just looks like it. Yeah. It walks like a duck and that. What do they say? Walks like a duck. Quacks, quacks like, like a duck. duck. It's, it's a duck. duck. <laughs> Most of the time. Yep. And I don't even want to change people's minds so, about that. But um, It's not your role to do that, though. No, and I don't care about it anymore. But at the time, I really did. Yep. And I thought before that I didn't care what people thought, but I really did. When I don't think that's... People say, I don't care what people think, but until it's been really tested like that, yep. I don't know. I yep. don't know. And so... Probably the most difficult part of my life, but probably as well, I think it was it's had the biggest compound growth out of anything that's ever happened. Yeah. Because I just learned to get up every day. In the end, it takes time. You've got to go through pain to grow, any sort of growth. Mm. You can't go to the gym and then you're not sore. Like, you, you've just, if you're going to grow, there's got to be some pain. Yeah. And... So, yeah, I just, I had to learn to get up and I know who I am and just, just not, really not care, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, and again, I, I don't know whether or not you want to talk about this or not, but what was the, the catalyst for the breakdown of your first marriage? Did you just grow apart with your, with your previous wife or? Uh, I think we yeah, probably grew in different directions. I think there's always a values clash and yep. you, you look, you don't know. You know, when you're young, you just kind of go with people, don't you? And, and I suppose you don't have a... And I didn't have that much experience with women. So I suppose I didn't assess, you know, our values and do they align and, you know, I like things this clean and how clean does she like them and mm-hmm. the finance and the discipline of the kid. Like, you just don't go through that process when you're young. Yeah. And I think sometimes people kind of, they might get married and, you know, maybe they have gone through that process. I don't know. I certainly didn't. But, you know, and I think some people, maybe they either have or they've kind of lucked it into it and that all, all matches up. And then they're kind of like, oh, people just need to get through their difficult issues and they're not sticking at it hard enough and there's all that type of stuff. And yep. I think maybe they don't understand what a real kind of dysfunctional relationship is. Yeah. Because it's not like, you know I mean, you have an argument and then you just need to, you know, move on from it or you need to, you know, adjust some things. Mm. So... <clears throat> For me, you know, that we just, yeah, grew in different directions. There's conflict and all that. And yeah. Yeah. And what um, what supports did you put in place through the process? Like, I know you said, you know, you, your mindset was just to get up and, and keep going. But yeah. were there people that you spoke to or specific things that you did to, to help yourself work through it? Um, well, fortunately, I had Bell. Yep. And, you know, and I think people need someone they can be completely vulnerable with yep and there's a lot I'm not being sexist about it but there's a lot of guys that 
they won't they won't be vulnerable with their wife either and they want to be you know they think oh it's not tough to do that or mm. or whatever and they shut themselves down mm. absolutely I think Belle's been my biggest support um, and I've grown so much in the last five years you know some of it is because of the divorce but you know a lot of that is Belle as well she's yep. just she's the, my biggest champion so yeah yeah and it's a good point that you make i think you know men are slowly getting better but you know going back to when we were kids like our dads would have never talked about their feelings or anything like that and no it's you know no surprise that the you know the, the suicide rate and the mental health rate was was so so high in men but i think it is slowly starting to turn around just through the media and, and mm. things like that you know you get these yeah. big tough footballers now that come out and talk about their feelings and i think that's fantastic oh yeah they have to yep and if you can't be vulnerable that's just a horrible life to live mm. and yeah. yeah i think you have to be and you have to have someone that you can be and unfortunately like some people don't but you know go to the doctor and get a mental health plan and go and see a psychologist just mm. like you got to be vulnerable mm. with someone yep. you got to be able to like talk through things mm. so Problem shared's a problem halved, my yeah, mum always says. So, absolutely. And it's never rung truer than in this day and age. Yeah. Um, what about you, your kids through the process? So you had children from your, your previous relationship? Is yeah, we both did. Yep. And sort of multiple challenges with that. One was kind of making a blended family. And yep. The other is obviously the divorce process and, and the kids. Yep. And that's the worst part of it, obviously. And for me, you know, making the decision... I was the decision maker, you know. I mean, my wife kind of wanted to talk about separation six months before, but at the end of the day, I made the decision in the end. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, you got to go through, the, there's some guilt attached to that because, yep. you know, kids are upset mm. and it's an ongoing thing. And yep. look, there's a lot of research about divorce and, you know, how kids cope with it is depending on, often both parents yep um and again there's no manual for it and every kid's different yep um because i try to read some books and stuff but they're based on utopia mm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they're not looking at your situation yeah, are they? they're Everyone's like different. Oh, you know and obviously i threw the emotional bomb into my divorce and so the communication wasn't a lot of marriages break down because of communication yep, and then 100% yeah and then it's like you know afterwards you know some of these books are expecting all these like they're not going to be able to communicate after marriage <laughs> if they couldn't communicate yeah, marriage yep. so I ended up just you know shelving those and um, just going through like basic principles of divorce which is you know shown to uh, you know, not have an impact on kids, and that's not getting them involved in in it. And you got to let them have emotions, and you know they're upset about it. Mm. Definitely didn't try and squash any of that. It's, mm. it's, I know it sucks. And, yeah, and I think one of the hard things too is people start to use their kids as pawns in a bit of a chess game too yeah. through that process. And oh, just, that's really, really not cool. You yeah. see that? Yeah, you see that very. I'm not saying that happened in your situation, no, but you do see it very often and. The thing that I always look at, and, you know, I've been through something similar myself, is the kids are innocent. They didn't choose this. So, yeah. you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, they're one of your, your biggest priorities. So, yeah. 
yeah, for sure. Yeah. So obviously, as I say, there's a lot of fathers going through the same thing. If you could give them, you know, one key point to focus on through it, like what's really worked for you, what would you say would be the main advice that you'd give dads? Uh, I think, like I said, no manual for it. Um, I think you need to protect them from the emotion of it and sort of not get caught up in adult stuff for the kids and just leave the adult stuff for the adults mm. I didn't you know cry in front of them and stuff and whether that's right or wrong I don't know if a psychologist would tell me but I didn't want to kind of drag them into my um, my you know emotions of it mm. yeah I just wanted to be there to support them when they were emotional. Yeah. So, and different kids, different. Um, you know, my son Jonah kind of dealt with it okay. Yeah. Della kind of struggled with it, and I just kept talking through, uh, letting her cry about it, and yep. stuff like that. So. Yeah. I think that's one of the main things too is just keep showing up for them as well. Like yeah. sometimes, I think as dads and as, as men, like naturally we're fixers. So mm. if you see that. You know your daughter's crying immediately you're trying to come in with solutions where yeah. sometimes you just need to show up and just sit there with them i think the advice is don't do that yep <laughs> and sometimes you learn the hard way yeah, don't you don't try and fix it because what you end up doing is probably shutting their emotions down a little bit mm. and if something's painful you've got to go through the emotional process yep and you know they can either bounce out of it uh more resilient in life yep um, or you know it can cause issues for the rest of their life yep. and I think it's well there's a lot of research on it it is how the parents deal with it so, yep. yeah absolutely so obviously through through your life and, and I appreciate you being so open and honest about it all Jason so you've got plenty of lived experience so what would you say is your philosophy on life now so what do you go by lots of philosophies but I suppose one of the main ones and we we touched on it earlier is uh, acceptance yep and that can be accepting responsibility um, like I, I, I talked about and you know allowing yourself to feel the guilt and going through that process but it's also accepting things that happen to you yep because some stuff I mean there's some stuff happened to me when I was a kid probably shouldn't happen to a kid and that's some stuff not my fault but it's about it doesn't matter you know it's about acceptance and I heard a, a saying about it and I don't know where it comes from but it's suffering equals pain plus resistance yep so a painful event can happen in your life and if you resist it you end up quite kind of emotionally torn up yeah if you accept it you you basically give yourself peace about it the pain doesn't is still there and you know that dissipates over time yeah but if you resist the event like this shouldn't have happened and uh, why did that happen to me mm. you're just uh, stuck in a time warp you, you get stuck in a time warp yeah and so for me and that was one of the biggest sort of epiphanies I ever had was just to accept things yeah and I do that now even with you know everyone wants to get in on the COVID vaccination debate 
I just I just accept you know some people don't want to get vaccinated some yep. people do yep and it's cool either way yeah, yeah. and it's that's your choice it's their thing I don't get involved in it mm. and you know if something goes on Facebook I don't comment on it mm. I just try and ignore it the problem with social media is it follows everywhere yeah Yep, like it's trying to send me videos about like vaccination mm. conflict. Yeah, and I'm like, just mm. go away. I wonder what what the debate would be like if we didn't have social media. How the world would be around this time? Uh, yeah, I've got views on that. Yeah, as well. That's, that's a whole other podcast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that that's a good philosophy, though acceptance. And obviously, you know, we have to accept that it's springtime and people are going to mow their lawns this time of year, which you can hear old mate next door mowing his lawns at the moment. So yeah. we almost got through the full podcast without a bit of noise there. Um, Again, as I say, um, when I when people find out who's um, who's coming on here, I do get a few little stories um, through about them, and um, I've been told about you that you've been known to jump on play equipment at kids' parks and things like that, and occasionally you'll hurt yourself as well. So you're a bit of a big kid at heart, by the sound of things. Look, I like to, yeah, I like to. Uh, I don't know. I like, I do like adrenaline um, producing, you know, sports <laughs> and things like that. You know, one of the best things I did was bungee jump. Actually, skydiving, I got bored yeah. skydiving. Yep. Um, Once the initial shock of jumping well, out of the plane wore off. You. Yeah, and it's kind of like just wind in my face for the first bit. <laughs> and then it's hanging there. And I don't like scenery, really. Well, it's not that I don't like it. I'm just not big on, you know, people will say, oh, look at the sunset. I'm like, yep. oh, yeah, that looks really nice. But in my head, I'm kind of going, yeah, it looks nice, but I I don't sort of sit there and bask in it. And yep. So then the the last part of skydiving is you're hanging there looking at the scenery. Yep. I was kind of like, man, when are we going to go on the ground? So, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but bungee jumping was great. I used to yep. ride dirt bikes. That was really good. I yep. don't do that anymore because when you're younger, like you know you're a bit like Gumby you fall off and get back up and yeah I feel like everything would break now so I just can't <laughs> avoid that but apparently it doesn't stop you though from having a crack at the play equipment no well one of the because there's one down there at the um, Bluff in Devonport and you can spin on it I didn't realise until one of our kids did it you can spin on it and go uh, fold yourself in and it just goes super fast <laughs> it's actually quite dangerous but it's cool because you know, years ago they used to allow dangerous play equipment and there is a little bit down there that's dangerous so yeah. it was yeah got on that and had a go and <laughs> fell off and hurt myself so yeah. yeah as you do you're still getting the same adrenaline off the monkey bars and the play equipment than you were bungee jumping and yeah, things yeah that's right <laughs> you got to get your kick somewhere mate yeah <laughs> That's basically all I've got for you, mate. All so right. I just, um, yeah, I want to thank you for being so open and honest. And you know, as we as we touched on, I think for men in particular, um, it's it's a really good thing to to come in and be so open and honest, you know, about your emotions and and taking responsibility for your actions and, and your mistakes in life. And also, you know, I I really want to congratulate you for for being prepared to chat about your divorce and and, and talk through that because. You know, as we said, it's not something that, that is brought up, but unfortunately it is something that's really common. And, you know, I think if people can take a few little things away from that on, on how to work through that, particularly if there's there's kids involved, um, you know, it's going to make a, a happier next generation as well because the worst thing that we want to see is a generation of kids that have been through divorce, you know, being affected Absolutely. later on in life. So 
I just um yeah want to wish you and your family all the best, mate. Um, you know you you're doing great things, and um yeah can't wait to see what you what you achieve further on. And um good luck to anyone who en- encounters you when there's a pinball machine involved. So. <laughs> no <worries>. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for coming in, in mate. Nah, cheers, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason, for coming in, mate, and uh, thanks again for being so open and honest like all our guests. It um, takes a lot of courage to lay yourself bare like that, and it's no fluke that he's got to where he is these days because he's got some fantastic philosophies on life, and what he's been through has um, certainly primed him for for later on in life. So, um, yeah, he's had to dig deep to get to where he is today. So I think there's some great messages for people to to get out of that. You know, I just love his um, his attitude around acceptance because... I think sometimes if um, if we sit there and worry about you know whose fault it was, what happened to us, why did it happen to us, that sort of thing, you can get bogged down in that rather than trying to move on with your life because in actual fact, once it's done, it's done. You can't do much about it, so you can only try and move forward. So um, thanks again, mate, for having a chat about um, divorce. Like we said, it's not something that's overly spoken about in this day and age. However, unfortunately, it is something that's becoming more and more common. So... There's some, um, some great messages to come out of that um, and how you handle that time in your life if you go through that unfortunately can affect some little people moving forward if they're involved so I think there's um, some great ideas coming out of that from Jason as well how to, how to deal with that. There's no handbook on it but um, you know you can only do your best and be mindful of these things so thanks for listening guys as always um, feel free to subscribe like leave me a review any feedback but yeah hopefully everyone's enjoying it so yeah let me know if uh, if you've got any guests that you think that we could have a chat to we've got some great guests lined up for you so keep listening tell everyone about it um, put some time aside when you're driving in the car chuck them on when you're mowing the lawns they're always handy as well thanks for your support For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.